0: This is Tax Chats. Hello, I'm Scott Diring. And I am Jeff Hoops. And we're here to chat about taxes. Hello again and welcome to another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Diring, professor of accounting at Duke University. And I am joined as always by my friend and co-host and curator of the UNC Tax Museum, Located over at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Jeff Hoops. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Just as I said that, I, it made me wonder, is the tax museum, does it have an official name? Is it the UNC tax museum or is it just the tax
1: museum? So it's, or It's an interesting fact about Scott and his common references to the tax museum. He's never actually had a tour of the tax museum, so he likes to talk about it. Literally never had a tour of the tax museum. The Maybe not the whole the thing. Tax, not even a little tiny bit. The official name is The Tax Museum. It was Tax Museum, but we had to buy the URL and taxmuseum.org was already taken, so now it has to be The Tax the
0: Museum. The Tax Museum. It's a burgeoning
1: right. industry of many tax museums. This is
0: in part because Jeff worked for a while at The Ohio State University, so uh he uh, doesn't have anything to do that. with that. So. Okay. <laughs> well, how are you doing over there today? Pretty fine. All right. What's going on with Tax Chats today?
1: So today we have Laura Snyder with us. Laura, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hello, uh, I'm Laura Snyder. I uh, was raised in Illinois in the United States, but I've spent most of my adult life in Europe, trained as a lawyer. Um, And I think there's a lot of things I could tell you about myself, but most important for our purposes is uh, for the past few years, I've spent a lot of time advocating for overseas Americans, and in particular with respect to tax issues.
1: Okay, so are you part of like an organization or do you do that advocacy on an individual basis?
2: Oh, I'm part of two important organizations. One is called SEAT, Stop Extraterritorial American Taxation, and uh, our purpose is to educate people about the situation of overseas Americans with respect to taxation and banking issues. And I'm also a member of the board of directors of Aero, the Association of Americans Resident Overseas, which advocates for overseas Americans on a full range of issues, tax and banking, but also voting, citizenship, social security, that type of thing.
1: Okay. And so what is, like, um, you mentioned taxes, or, well, of course, this is tax chats. We can talk all, about all the kinds of problems that Americans have living abroad. Um, first of all, let's just talk about, like, who are these Americans living abroad? I, I think, like... You might think of like super rich people or rich people living on some island trying to evade taxes, but like give us a- They
0: bought bought a like a French chateau or something like that. Yeah, Tell us
1: who it is is that actually like lives abroad and how many of these people are and tell us a little bit about this, the the average American living abroad.
2: That's exactly the right question to start with. I'm glad you asked me that question Um, because there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions about Americans living overseas. Um, I think the uh, kind of a reflexive idea is it's a very wealthy person who lives overseas in order to avoid paying U.S. tax. And, and that's kind of the, the, yeah, just the reflexive idea people have. But the reality is, is really quite different. Sure, there's a few people like that, but not very many. Um, but what you also find is that we're quite, there's, a, there's a diff, different types of Americans who live overseas. Most are ordinary people, but ordinary in their own special way. Um, you have uh, maybe what you would call an expat, which would be someone overseas for a temporary period of time, maybe sent by their um, by their employer um, they're overseas what one, two, three years, and then they go back to the United States. Um, you have people who retire they they spend their working life in the United States and then when they retire they move overseas there's there's certainly a number of people who do that. You have people who are called accidental Americans, kind of a funny phrase. Um, it's a shorthand way of saying people who were born in the United States, uh, probably to two non-US uh, citizen uh, parents, uh, spent only a short amount of time in the United States, left be- before they were adults, maybe left when they were you know, two, three years old, and have basically spent most of their lives outside the United States. They don't Really identifies being American. Um, they they have another citizenship because you know one of their parents or both were not U.S.
0: citizens. I, Jeff and I were talking about that category before before, uh, before we started today. And I think one of the more famous examples of this was Boris Johnson in the U.K. Because I think I think Boris Johnson's parents were diplomats in the U.S. when he was born, and then they went back to the U.K. and he was an American citizen. And like there was some story in the news or something like at some point Boris Johnson or somebody sold a house in the UK and the IRS sent him a bill and Boris Johnson's like, I'm the prime minister of England. I'm not an American, you know, something like that.
2: Yeah. And he ended up renouncing, he ended up paying that bill, but then he renounced it. Oh, he did pay
1: it. It doesn't have got any choice or wouldn't have it <laughs> will fly through the United States.
0: <laughs> now that would have been amazing. Oh, I'm sorry. You came to the United States to meet with the president where we're gonna put you in jail until
1: you pay your tax bill.
2: Well, hopefully it wouldn't have reached that level. That would be that would be a problem.
1: So I guess so I guess for these accidental Americans, it's it's worth noting for people who might not be aware, United States, unlike most countries or unlike some countries, at least I guess I don't know what most countries do, if you're born here, in most cases you're an American citizen, which is just like this weird Weird thing. And so you can accidentally be American.
2: Yeah, well, the the phrase, the phrase, you know, is a weird phrasing. Um, I'll have to agree with that. I think the fact that, you know, you are a citizen by virtue of your birth, that's, that's the 14th amendment um, that came after the civil war. That was to guarantee citizenship to people who otherwise would not have citizenship in all likelihood. So it's, it's a very important thing. And I myself don't criticize that at all. Um, But you do have issues with it. Um, And and citizenship has evolved since that time. It used to be that in spite of the 14th Amendment in the um, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, there were rules that people would automatically lose their U.S. citizenship by operation of law because they voted in a foreign election, because they um, lived outside the United States, married to a foreigner for a certain length of time. And the Supreme Court came along and said, you can't do that. The 14th Amendment gives people their citizenship and Congress cannot take actions to deprive people of their citizenship and invalidated all those laws. And this has a direct relationship to how overseas Americans today are taxed, because what you see now is a lot of people included in that tax system who under the old rules wouldn't have been. Those accidentals would have lost their U.S. citizenship by the age of 18 if they had not taken positive actions to to keep it. But, but you don't have, they don't have to do that anymore. So they just, they just keep it.
1: So we got, we got these three categories of people. So you say-
2: oh, There's another one. The most important. The most important <laughs> yeah. one. Opinion, save the best, the best for opinion. last. <laughs> and, the, and the one that has the most problems. That's why I saved them till the end. Um, so then you have what um, we like to call the emigrants with an E. And those are people who um, have left the United States probably at a relatively youngest age, in their 20s and 30s, and they live outside the United States on a long-term basis. They've been outside for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And they have made their lives outside the United States. The center of their financial interests are outside the United States. That's in contrast to the retirees that I spoke about and the expats that I spoke about. And that's a key difference, um, when you talk about the tax implications. Um, and, and so the, the immigrants are the people that, certainly the two groups I'm a part of are focused on. And though that's the group that really experiences the, the, the worst of the, of the extraterritorial tax system.
1: So I, I hope it's okay to disclose you're broadcasting from France. Uh, you are currently abroad. So where, which of these four groups would you belong to?
2: I'm definitely in the immigrant category. Because you, you've been I, outside I of the, the U.S. for States. like a long time. Yeah. for most of my adult life at this point.
0: Okay, hang on. I want to. I want to recap the categories so I can remember. There are the expats, there are the retirees, there are the accidentals. My favorite, and there are um, the immigrants. That the people that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. And so and so so, I guess they. If you're a, sort of a more permanent type of person like this, like an immigrant, that's where you're saying this becomes a really big problem. Is that is that why you said they're the most important or talk to us about that?
2: Yeah, yeah, because um, what you'll see, you, you have, a, you know, this lots of different people that have different experiences. And if you talked about these types of problems to a retiree or to an expat, they would probably stare at you blankly and not know what you're talking about and say, oh, I haven't had these problems. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, these people are making up something. Well, my response to that is, it's because in all likelihood, um, your financial interests are either 100% or 90% in the United States. And that's why you're not having these problems. Because the source of the problem is that the U.S. tax code penalizes many, many things that are foreign. So if you have a foreign retirement account uh, or plan, if you have foreign mutual funds, If you have a foreign small business, if you have a foreign bank account, what the United States considers foreign, that's where you're going to have all these problems. Um, So the longer you live outside the United States, the more likely the center of your financial interests are going to be outside the United States. Now, these are not foreign to you because they're in the country where you live. But from the perspective of the United States, they are foreign. And so they are to be penalized.
1: I see. And so And so, talk about the motivations for those laws. I mean, I think that to me, I mean, I think what you said is like they're not foreign to you. This isn't like somebody living you know anywhere and has a bank account in the Cayman Islands. This is you're living in France, and you want to be able to store your money in France, where your employer is incorporated, where you live, where everything in your existence exists, and it's not strange that it should be a French bank you want to bank with. so t- tell about like the motivation for creating these tax systems and how that's a little bit out of a line with. What a American living in France for a long time might experience.
2: Do you mean what's the motivation for the U.S. law? The U.S.
1: law and then why it might not be the best solution for you or why it it isn't isn't doing its job for Laura. Why
0: it has a negative consequence on Laura, but it was passed for probably some other reason.
2: Well, there's different laws that were passed at different times. And so, you know, you can talk about the specific motivation for each of those laws passed.
1: Pick your favorite.
2: Oh, my. How about if I pick two or three? How about I pick two or three? And I think that'll give a flavor. Um, So if you go back to why were Americans first subject, not only to the income tax, why were overseas Americans first subject, not just the income tax, but on their worldwide income? Because other countries will tax the, the, you know, if you... If you live over, you know, the the United States is unique in that it taxes its overseas citizens on their, not just on their U.S. source income. Of course, they would tax their overseas citizens on their U.S. source income. No one disputes that. But why are they taxing them on their worldwide income, income that they earned outside the United States while they lived outside the United States? So when the income tax was first adopted in the Civil War, um, initially, Uh, Overseas citizens were only taxed on their U.S. source income. Um, And even it was only taxed on their unearned income. But later, uh, I think it was in 63 or 64, or yeah, 1860, 64. Then there was the congressman who, you know, you can see this in the congressional record. They said, no, we need to tax these people on their worldwide income. They are gallivanting off to Paris, you know, shirking their civic duties in the United States. And they should be taxed on their worldwide income. It, it was the attitude is more of a um, we don't want them li- moving out of the country. We don't want them leaving. And if they do leave, they should be penalized for that. One of them said, "Those if, if, we, if we tax anyone, those are the people we should tax.
0: Like as a penalty almost.
2: It's a, it is not almost a penalty. It is a penalty. Yeah. And, and I would go back. And I was listening to one of your recent chats, the one about... Um, how you impose taxes in your family in order to encourage and discourage behavior. Yeah. This is exactly what the we're Jeff talking Hoops about.
0: The Jeff Hoops tax, uh, the tax plan at the Jeff Hoops household. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but
2: this is, and so you see this repeated, for example, with the um, expatriation tax and the exit tax. You see this again. When the United States adopted the first expatriation tax, what happened there was um, at the same time the United States Adopted laws to encourage non resident, non citizens to invest in the United States, giving them favorable tax treatment. And you can see in the congressional record, there were congresspeople that said, hey, this is going to encourage our our rich people to uh, leave the country, renounce their US citizenship, so that they can benefit from these laws. And we don't want that to happen. And so, again, there's not the idea is not, oh, we need tax revenue, we're going to get tax revenue. The idea is no. We want to uh, discourage people from leaving the country. And if they do, they we want to penalize them for it. Um, So you can also see, you know, things with, um, you know, some of the bigger laws that had the really big effects were the laws, well, you know, that um, penalize foreign retirements, foreign mutual funds. Those were to discourage U.S. residents from investing outside the United States with to what extent were, were people even thinking about people who live outside the United States making those investments? Yeah, probably very little. Um, probably very little.
0: Yeah, so that's so I, you can I can understand why Congress might be sitting around thinking we we want to keep the rich people here, and if they if they want to leave, we want to make it very painful. And and I agree. Like I can't imagine the typical uh, Congressperson in Washington D.C spending a lot of time thinking about the immigrants who left the United States at age 20 and have been there for 25 years and have been earning income in France or wherever. They just don't even think about them. So they don't consider the consequences. I guess that's kind of what you're saying.
2: Yeah, either we're not thought about or or if we are thought about, it was it's it's with that prejudicial idea of the assumption that we're just rich people trying to escape our tax obligations. And if you're a citizen, you should be paying your taxes. So,
1: so tell us, I mean, I think when a lot of people will hear that we're talking about the taxation of Americans abroad, they will think of FATCA. Can you tell us how FATCA plays into this a little bit?
2: So FATCA shook things up quite a bit. Uh, because prior to FATCA, uh, a lot of people were, especially accidental, were able to live in blissful ignorance. Um, they didn't, a lot of them didn't really realize they were citizens, uh, which, which would have been easy to not realize. Um, or, you know, they knew they were citizens, but it, you know, they weren't aware of the tax implications. It was easy as someone with zero financial interest in the United States, it was easy to ignore the tax implications and just live your life, not entering the U S tax system. But FATCA came along, and for those who don't know what FATCA is, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, um, well, I won't get in, that's a long discussion as to to the background of that, which we can talk about. But the gist of it was to um, force banks outside the United States to identify their U.S. citizen clients and then report on their bank accounts back to the IRS. And the banks who did not do this were subject to really draconian penalties. So,
0: so, so was it, I mean, was this basically like, we, we think that there's like super rich, like, I don't know, American person who's hauling all their income to like Switzerland in a suitcase and putting it in a Swiss bank account and it's never heard of more, but now we're going to force the Swiss bank to tell the U S that there's cash there.
2: So what prompted FATCA was exactly that, Um, whereas there were some cases that were investigated by Senator Carl Levin's office, and it was exactly, it was Swiss banks hiding the money of U.S. residents, I'd like to stress, hiding the money of people who live in the United States. And the, the, um, the reaction by Congress to that was not something limited, which was, you know, let's identify uh, tax haven countries and bank accounts with, uh, you know, banks in tax haven countries. And let's make sure that the accounts of U.S. residents are reported. No, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do. Even though nothing in Levin's research had anything to do with people who live outside the United States and nothing to do with people who live in non-tax haven countries. Instead, they adopted a law that says all banks in all countries in the world you must identify your U.S. citizen clients and you must report their accounts to us subject to these draconian penalties.
0: Is there, a, is there like a threshold? So like if I open a bank account with like $20, do they have to report or is it like?
2: Well, yeah, you're right. There is a threshold, but the threshold um, has limited um, consequence in this context because actually there's two, FATCA has two different types of reporting requirements one for the bank and one for the taxpayer themselves. So actually the IRS should be getting duplicate information on that and even triplicate because of the F-bar. Um, so yes, there is a threshold. I think it's 200,000, something like that. It, and it's different whether you live in the United States, you live outside, and then you're married or not married. But the banks, for the banks, the threshold was irrelevant. The banks, it was too difficult for them to deal with the threshold you know, are we above it or under it? You, know, and it? you know, it depends on what time of the year, et cetera. So the banks just said, no, we are going to identify our U.S. We, we either do not take U.S. citizen clients, period. We won't take them. If we have any, we close their accounts. Any new ones, we refuse to take them. Um, you know, and, you know, regardless of the threshold, that's been the bank's um, approach to this. The, the threshold has not been relevant from that perspective. The threshold's only been relevant When it comes to the taxpayer themselves, when they decide whether they themselves need to file that FATCA form.
0: So has that made it hard for you to open a bank account in France?
2: That's made it hard for lots of people to open a bank account and to keep a bank account in lots of places. Um, In France today, so there was initial reaction where um, for the first three, four years after France implemented FATCA, it was of extremely difficult to get an account anywhere. And lots of people were just getting letters in the mail saying, we're closing your account. You have X number of days to tell us what to do with your money. Um, today, there are certain banks that usually will take Americans, but they still will give them a hard time. There are other banks that categorically refuse them. And when you try and open account, one of the first questions I'll ask you is, are you, are you a U.S. person? If you say yes, the door is just shut. You're, they won't deal with you again after that.
0: Wow, it's crazy yeah so so and, and so the, the but the banks were sort of forced to comply with this because if they didn't, there were penalties that were so severe that it would basically impede their operations. Is that really what happened?
2: Yeah, the banks have become a compliance arm for this for the IRS. They had no choice. They spent a lot of money developing the software that they needed to to you know to implement this.
0: So if you so if you're a if you're a U.S. person then and you're abroad, you can get an account, but it's going to be you're going to have to find one of the banks that's willing to cooperate and you may not have all the options. So um, do you think like that cost that's imposed on the American citizens outside is like outweighing the benefit that the U.S. has achieved by basically uh, identifying all the hidden bank accounts of the rich tax evaders?
2: I don't know if they have identified all the. Of course not. Of course, it's a grossly, wildly disproportional reaction. Um, there's never, They've, they still to this day have not done any study or identified any issue with people living outside the United States um, using the accounts in the countries where they live to evade taxes. You don't evade taxes with a French bank account or a UK <laughs> bank account or a Canadian bank account.
0: Hey, Jeff, it seems like there's some academic research on this, but I'm not very familiar with it. Do you know uh, what the academic research is
1: showing? Is it related to this? So, I mean, there's a lot of papers. They're not, they're, they are about FATCA. I think they're a little bit less relevant actually for this, this conversation, which is about the problems actually um, by Americans living abroad. I'm looking up right now, actually, it's not that much revenue at all that the Joint Committee on Taxation thinks we're actually raising. I mean, this was the question Scott asked is like, FATCA's going to raise us some money. Whether it's from the rich people or not, let's even forget about that. Yeah, point. just
0: do we get some revenue? Do from Do we get it? any yeah. revenue?
1: And like, how much trouble does it cause? Um, it's just not that much revenue. So we're raising all, a
0: actually. little teeny bit of revenue, and all the Laura Snyders <laughs> of the world are like suffering immensely for this little teeny bit of revenue.
1: If I if I believe what I'm reading here, it's something like less than a less than a billion a year, like really? 792 million a year. Wow, that's what this. So what the Wikipedia says.
2: <laughs> the report that Carl Levin. Levin's office issued said they started. The first line was that we're missing ten billion dollars of revenue a year because of these accounts.
0: So, so they overestimated by more than ten times. <laughs>
1: we've seen we've seen that uh, problem other places with foreign income. Scott, an um, order of magnitude off in the yeah. Estimate we, of reality. Uh, right
0: right now the uh, there's a uh, some people who are estimating that there's you know the U.S. would collect a hundred billion a year in tax if the if the income shifting was stopped. But but other people. From corporations and other people are saying it's like 10 billion
2: <laughs> i said 10 i said 10 but i think you're right i think it was 100 billion come to think of it that line i think you're right it
0: would not surprise me one bit if <laughs> uh the the
1: a- amounts
0: are overestimated
1: yeah not that much money
2: i would just quickly add to that um i actually published an article a short article about this last may um there was a report by a group of people who had access to otherwise not publicly available IRS data that looked at the FATCA, the accounts that were reported under FATCA. And um, I'd have to refresh my memory on um, some of those details. But the one detail that's coming back to me right now is that their uh, research showed that there were basically the, the FATCA accounts that were reported. There was a small number of accounts that had very large balances in tax havens held by U.S. residents. And then, uh, so just a small number of those, but very large balances. And then lots and lots and lots of small value accounts held by people living outside the United States. And those accounts, there was no reason that most of those accounts didn't generate any tax revenue. That was the basis. That was the gist of that report. Um, and I, had, I, I did an article kind of exposing that that was published in Tax Notes last May, I think. Uh, Overseas Americans are not fat cats. Something like that was the title.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. i also. I did what Jeff did. I went to Wikipedia, and, and it does sound like uh, Carl Levin uh, stated that there was a hundred billion loss to offshore okay. non-compliance, but but there's no source given, and and uh, it's not clear if that's corporate, if that's what it is. But um, uh, and 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 it does look like he's referring to uh, a book by uh, Gabriel Zuckman called "The Hidden Wealth of Nations," which I have read before. And um, I would say some of Zuckman's estimates are those that are being questioned in terms of whether or not they're uh, overestimated. So it's interesting to see.
1: Yeah. So, so what's the solution? And by that, there's two different versions of the solution. What if you just assume Congress is ineffective and won't change anything? What do the Laura Snyder's of the world do to try to like, alleviate their pain from this system? And then number two, what could Congress actually do to, to fix what you think is the problem?
2: Well, I think with your first question, I think what you're trying to go to is renouncing U.S. citizenship. I don't see that as a solution at all. I, I know that other people So there's no like
1: partial, there's off. nothing you can do to you just you renounce or not. If you're a citizen, there's just all this stuff and there's no way to get around it.
2: Well, it depends on who you are and what your situation is um, and what your tolerance for risk is. Um, certainly th- Okay, let's look at it this way. There are an estimated 5.5 to 9 million um, Americans living outside the country.
1: There's several states that have fewer people than that. I think that's kind of interesting. You think about like that's more people than live in Idaho, one of the greatest states in the country. That that would happen to
0: be Jeff's, uh, you know, childhood home, <laughs> Idaho.
2: You wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Well, have it guessed. could be like my wife's,
0: my wife's. My uh, wife's home state is Wyoming, and I think there's even, like about a tenth as many people in Wyoming as there are in Idaho. So there you go.
2: Yeah. I think I think Wyoming's one of the smallest.
1: Yeah, I think it has like yeah. less than a million people. Those 10, those ten people yeah. that live in Wyoming. So a Way lot more live uh, <laughs>
0: jackrabbits than there are people in Wyoming. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so yes, the, the number of people who live outside the U.S. is the size of a, of a mid-sized U.S. state. And um, so compare that to the number of tax returns that are filed from outside the United States, which presumably would include military mm there's less than a million tax returns filed. from There's 990, 900 and some thousand on average per year uh, tax returns filed from outside, a, a non-U.S. address. So it's clear from that that there are a lot of people with U.S. citizenship who are not in the U.S. tax system. And that works for many people. Is it risky? For some, sure, it's very risky. For some, probably not. Um, for some, the U.S. is probably never going to find
1: them. So how, so how would you functionally do that? Would you just take out, you have a spouse who's not American, your bank accounts would all be in their name. You would not fly, I guess, like, how would you live your life so that you don't get caught a life on the lamb? How is that? How does that function? Well,
2: Sounds exciting. It, it, a little bit
0: exciting.
1: <laughs>
2: It would depend. It would depend on your circumstances. It would depend a lot on your circumstances. Um, The IRS, as a general rule, doesn't go after people who are have never been in the system. Um, There are certainly people who have been in and who have left the system. But if you've never been in the system, say you were born outside the United States, you've never lived in in the United States, then you would have had to have really taken active steps to enter the U.S. tax system. And the U.S. generally doesn't bother those people. If as long as they don't have financial interests in the United States, um, if you do something to attract attention, sure they will. But if you don't, they won't. Now, yes, then the question becomes: Can you get a bank account? And if you are, if you do experience that problem, then yes, you end up having your family members hold title to your assets.
1: How, how would you? I mean, so if I go to into the bank in France and they say you're an American, and in my finest French accent, I say, "No, of course I'm not an American." And they believe me, how, how would they ever know? Like, do they, and I'm not going to give them a social security number. I'm not going to give them any kind of number that the IRS can match with my identity. How would He's also going to hire
0: the mafia to give him a fake ID. Okay. I'm going to get a
1: fake ID or even not a fake ID. I just use my real ID. I got a French ID.
2: Fake ID. Anything is anything can happen, but um, (laughs) they'll, they want to know where you're born. They will, they will want to know where you're born and it will be on your documents where you're born. So if you were, if you're a citizen, but you were born outside the United States, um, it's pretty easy to hide your citizenship in that case. But if you were an accidental, that's by definition, you were born in the United States. And so that's quite hard to hide.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the thing that you thought wasn't a solution, but for I, I should say this in, for an increasing number of people, it is a solution, which is renouncing your U S citizenship. And I think it, and I make this point every single year in my class, it's an increasing number, but it's still very small. It's like, it's in the single digit thousands. I think it used to be in the hundreds, just not that many people at all who renounce their citizenship, but it's way more than it used to be. So I, I like, we'll draw the graph and it's like a big steep line upwards. Just like, it's still just not that many people, but what, uh, why, why not do that? Like if you, I've lived for 30 years outside of the United States. You're married to a German. You're living in Germany. You're just like so delighted with Germany. Never plan to come back to the U.S. Why not just renounce?
2: I hope you're asking that question facetiously. Um, I don't know if you are, but I hope you are. And here's why. Um, Citizenship is a constitutional right and a human right. Citizenship, as as Hannah Arend and Chief Justice Earl Warren call it, it's the right to have rights. Citizenship does not exist in a vacuum. It's because you are a citizen that you have the right to return and live in the United States. And, um, that's a very, very important right. And by the way, returning to your home country is also a human right in multiple international human rights documents. And if you renounce your citizenship, you are renouncing the right to return to your home country. When you have a U.S. citizenship, you know, I can even speak personally. My mother is in her nineties. Now, lots of people have family in the United States that they need and want to return to the United States to not just a visit, but maybe they need to return and care for them on, a, on an indefinite basis. Can you do that if you have given up your U.S. citizenship? No, you'll only be able to return like any other foreigner can. You, do, you don't have the right to enter. You, you enter only because the U.S. You know, is nice enough to allow you, and you sure as heck aren't going to stay longer than you know, 90 days or 180 days, whatever the limit is. Um, So, you know, my in fact, I would say that the reason why I spend so much time advocating on behalf of, of overseas Americans is because I do not want to give up my U.S. citizenship. I do. I should not have to. It is my constitutional and my human right to have it. And Congress should not be adopting laws that make life so difficult when you live outside the United States that you can't keep your U.S. citizenship. That's wrong.
1: Okay, so let's go to that point to to kind of wrap up. What should, how should we change our law to resolve some of these problems?
2: It's very simple. Um, The United States should do what basically every other, practically every other country in the world does, which is uh, allow your citizens to leave the country if they want to. And when they do, you tax them on the income that they have sourced in your country. But you do not tax them on their worldwide income when they no longer live in your country. It's very simple. And practically every other country in the world, with a very small number of exceptions, does this.
0: Okay, so I could already hear the uh, Carl Levins of the world saying, oh, but that's going to give an incentive for the really rich people to um, shift all their earnings abroad and make it appear as though it's foreign earnings so they can uh, not pay tax at all. Is that a concern?
2: So let me tell you what other countries also do. They apply departure taxes. These apply not when you give up your citizenship, but they apply to everyone who leaves the country, regardless of their citizenship. So it'll apply to long-term residents also. And it will apply at the time they physically leave the country to to live somewhere else. And it will apply to certain of their assets, not all of their assets. So that's a very important distinction. Um, Today, the U.S. exit tax, which applies when people renounce. It applies to dollar one of your assets. So it encompasses your pension, it encompasses your home. And so you can very quickly hit the threshold uh, if you live in a, in a high income, high cost of living country. Whereas most countries' departure taxes will apply to uh, corporate shares. And some, they'll only apply to corporate shares. It will exclude the value of your residence. It'll exclude the value of your retirement plan so there is a very easy response to what you just said it's again look at what other countries do they have departure taxes that will apply to corporate stock basically
1: okay so to push back a little tiny bit more are you ready for this so you said that it's this this human fundamental right to be able to come back to your country i agree with that you should be able to do it for whatever reason you want take care of parents just because you want to but shouldn't that mean you have some kind of responsibility to like fund that place that you have a right to go back to? You want to have the option to return. Shouldn't you like help fund a little bit of the maintenance of that place?
2: Well, I would, there I would go, I would say, first of all, there's that several levels of response to that. Um, the first one is um, I've noticed that you haven't done any chats on modern monetary theory. Um, so I would push back. We try to keep it. We try to. We try to stay away from fiction. <laughs> okay. Then I would say. Then I would say. Um, when you live in another country, you live and exist in another country's tax system and another country's economy. You have this tax system in the United States that applies to people outside the United States as if they didn't live, as if they were in it, not in a different economy, not in a different tax system, not in a different. Completely different set of a of, of different legal system. So you have this extremely penalizing system. So I would say to you, in that, well, if you really think that that's necessary, then it needs to be a fairly defined uh, tax. And what it exists today, there is not an ounce of fairness in it. You should not be, the tax the system should not prevent you from saving for retirement, prevent you from having mutual funds, prevent you from owning title to your house, prevent you from having a small business or making it very difficult, prevent you from having a bank account. Is that the price you think is the right price to pay? For the, for, and I would also say that the right to return is a human right. Why are you charging any money for that at all? Are you not negating the very essence of what a human right is if you're saying, well, you should pay for that?
0: That's very interesting, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing with us your very fascinating perspective.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate the chance to talk about it.
0: This has been another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Diring, Professor of Accounting at Duke University, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeff Hoops at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And our guest today is Laura Snyder, an American living abroad Laura is currently the president of Stop Extraterritorial American Taxation, or SEAT, and a member of the Board of Directors of the Association of American Residents Overseas, or the AARO. We also remind you that you can earn CPE credit for listening to today's episode. To do so, visit earmarkcpe.com, download the free app, go to the Tax Chats channel, register for the course, take a short quiz, and earn your CPE certificate. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll chat with you next time. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.